figured out my issue the last couple days. I've had a frayed cord that had gotten caught in my boom, and uh, that was the issue. No, it just got caught in the boom. There's a boom. And it got caught in the boom over all these months, couple years, and frayed through, actually. So I think that, I think that's the, that was, in fact, I know that was the issue, and, uh, course, when it would disconnect because of the fraying, uh, it appeared that it disappeared in my software. And the only way to fix that is to reboot the software or reload the uh, uh, microphone. But hey, we are up and good and copacetic now. It is snowing outside here, and uh, uh, hopefully it's not... uh, 
not snowing outside where you are down in Virginia. Not at all. And uh, yeah, anyway, hey, uh, we are going to take a little bit of a detour today. Going to share at least one passage that we shared last night for our uh, Ash Wednesday service. And I'm uh, going to take you into the book of Joel, maybe maybe a few other passages, we'll see, but definitely going to go into the book of Joel uh, to see what was said. Now, you know, Ash Wednesday is one of those things in the practice of ashes. Some people say, well, you know, doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere that you should do that. Well, actually, there's a lot in the Bible about the use of ashes. Uh, and we we did that study last night. I'm not going to replicate that la- what we did last night here, uh, but the study of ashes and placing of ashes on one's head uh, as a symbol of repentance, as a symbol of humility, uh, as a symbol of contrition, uh, of a symbol of uh, uh, brokenness, as a symbol of of just acknowledging before God that, that that we know that we are but dust. And uh, uh, so much in the Old Testament about placing of ashes. In fact, before I go to the Old Testament, let me take you to the New Testament and show you in the New Testament a place where Jesus himself uh, seems to give acknowledgement to the use of ashes. So let me take you... Uh, over there, and it's Matthew chapter 11. He is condemning uh, Chorazin, uh, and he is condemning Bethsaida, and he said, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sion, uh, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, just the, the idea, the thought of sackcloth and ashes uh, the the idea being um, something that he recognized uh, as an Old Testament practice, perhaps even people around him in his day practicing the same type of thing uh, where, where they would put on sackcloth or they'd put on ashes uh, as an outward sign of repentance uh, so we see Jesus' acknowledgement of it here in the New Testament, uh, and it wasn't a specific day. I mean, Ash Wednesday and the whole idea of Lent came in church history. I mean, an interesting course title uh, would be the uh, course title of uh, the development of theology uh, through the lens of church history, you know, because things that we think Christians have always believed isn't necessarily true, and to see where along the line in church history certain of our 21st century convictions have come from. Oh, hang on a second.
had an alarm going off, uh, had the fireplace on, and, and got a little bit warm, I think. So it will hopefully shut off here in just a moment. So uh, got everybody stirred up here in our house. But we're back. We're back here. And I got it warmed up, too, in the house. So... Um, but the, these comments that, that Jesus has made giving credence to Old Testament practice, let me take us back into the book of Joel and uh, chapter 2 uh, and look at the passage here. I'm just going to begin at verse 1. We'll work our way down through. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Now, Zion is a city inside of Jerusalem, actually, kind of the house of David, a very particular place in Jerusalem. We tend to think it's all of Jerusalem. Well, it's just an aspect, a part of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come again. Now, this is this is yet future prophecy that we are looking at here. Okay, this hasn't happened yet. It says, before them, fire devours. Behind them, flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. Uh with the noise like that of chariots that leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire, consuming stubble like a mighty army drawn up for battle. Now, I just want to stop there. I mean, you could see modern uh, uh, machinery that uh, could be like this. I mean, the appearance of it. You could think of tanks. Uh, you could think of uh, the way they come over mountains. Uh, you could think of helicopters. Uh, you could think of, of seeing how they fire and all of those types of things. Uh, the, the crackling fire, uh, consuming stubble. I mean, you, you see that. Anytime you watch uh, TV and you see um, the all the bullets flying out of, of the nighttime, uh, in the nighttime sky there uh, in the Middle East, uh, or missiles or all that type of thing. So what is being described here in Joel I mean, we could actually see in uh, modern machinery uh, mechanisms of war. Uh, and it goes on, it says this in verse 6, At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. Uh, they run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The moon and sun are darkened. The stars are. The stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful who can endure it. Now, it, it is simply in, uh, in, in the prospect of what is coming and what Joel is telling the people about that, that the consideration is given uh, of 
and then the call that we'll read in verse 12, but the day of the Lord is great and is dreadful. This is yet a future time yet to come. The day of the Lord is coming. Uh, and in the New Testament, often the day is capitalized. And uh, why is it capitalized? It's capitalized because it's speaking of this very specific day when the Lord brings his judgment upon the people. So the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. Mighty is the army that obeys his command. So this is what's coming. Uh, this, this time of dread is coming. So what is the call? The call then picks up in verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. The idea of returning to God. You know, don't, don't be half-hearted in our relationship with God. Return to God. Uh, return to God with, with our hearts. Return to God and fasting and weeping and mourning. And, and I've talked about fasting before and fasting being um, something that, that I know a lot of people don't engage in. Uh, they're like, why would I do that? Unless they're doing it you know, like, like IF, intermittent fasting, because of weight loss or health concerns. But the idea of, of spiritual fasting is uh, something that in some circles, uh, and I see this a lot among the Baptists, that it's like almost an unheard of thing. Why would we do that? We like food, like what Don had in all of his, in his, uh, initial post comment uh, there uh, in all the food I couldn't decide, he said. Um, but no, to fast. What is fasting? Fasting is giving up food. It's giving up maybe coffee. It's giving up maybe donuts. It's giving up uh, something. We fast from something, not just to not have that thing, but to fill uh, what would normally fill that aspect of the belly. Uh, or of the taste buds to fill it up with the things of the Lord. Uh, if you if you skip the meal, well, don't use it. Well, I'm skipping my meal so I can work. No, the idea is skip the meal so you can have extra time in Scripture, or you can have extra time in prayer, or you can have extra time in worship. That is the idea, uh, and and we we just don't get it uh, a lot of times. The necessities of the disciplines that are so absolutely important for us if we're going to grow in our relationship with Christ. He says, return with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Uh, so uh, anyway, Don said this. He says, I, I thought something in my house. No, Don, it was my house. Uh, we have a gas fireplace that there's just if it goes up to the top of the stairs and the doors happen to be open up there, it just it gets it gets nice and toasty up there. Uh, and because of the type of fireplace it is, sometimes it uh, it sets off the alarm, uh, probably the CO two alarm. Actually, uh, we're safe, we're good. Uh, don't worry about it. But sorry about the alarm that I created for any of you with that going off in my house. Just every once in a while, it does that. Don't know why. Um, Back to the text, though. He says, rend your heart, not your garments. Now, what is he talking about? Rend your heart, not your garments. Well, uh, they had a practice in their day that, that they would literally rip their clothes. Often they, uh, 
uh, often they would uh, maybe wear sackcloth like burlap and uh, they would tear that as is as if to say I'm tearing I'm torn up uh, at least on the outside over sin or I'm torn up uh, I'm, I'm perplexed maybe not even over the sin it might be perplexed over the difficulty that one is going through but often going through as a result of sin well they would rend their their, their external garments and so when he says in verse 13 rend your heart not your garments what he is really getting to is saying uh, deal with your inside. Uh, it's easy to put on this this external air. It's easy to, you know, tear your garments on the outside. But God is saying, I'm, what I'm really interested in is your heart. Verse 12, he said these words, return to me with all your heart. Verse 13, he says, rend your heart. It's the issue of the interior. And one of the things that, that I think that we are not so good at, uh, uh, at least in some circles, and I'm trying to gradually bring some change, is that we give consideration to our interior. Sometimes we'll look around and think, well, I'm I'm not I'm not that sinful, I'm not that bad, I'm a pretty decent person. But you know, even respectable sins, what we would call respectable sins, are sins. They're actually not respectable. They're still sins in God's eyes. They still make us guilty. Uh, and so so God is, is is asking us to to look in inside of ourselves, our interior. What about the formation of soul? What about the formation of our spiritual nature and our character? Um, to be able to look to the inside, we're real good, like I said, at, at looking around to the outside and looking at other people and and pointing this out and pointing that out. But what about looking inside at self to to reflect now? People who journal, I, I know some people, we had Gabby, um, Gabby lived with us for a while and she was a journaler and, you know, she sometimes she would talk about what she's journaling and what she was thinking about, just have conversations about some of the things, but, or she would sit there on the couch or somewhere in the living room with her cup of coffee and tea and, and journal. Some people do that uh, and really focus. Now, some people can go overboard and now it's all about me. But God is interested that we look at our hearts. We look at what is going on in our inside. So, verse 12, he said, Return to me with all your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. Uh, verse 13, rend, uh, Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. I mean, God doesn't want to send calamity, but it is a consequence, and it will come. Verse 14 says this, Who knows, he may turn and relent and be, leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. We read that earlier. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Now, one of the other things that we talked about uh, last night was some people say, I thought fasting is to be a private affair. Yes. I mean, we shouldn't go around acting like I'm all dejected. I didn't get to have breakfast this morning. Life is so hard. Um, come on. You know, and, and, and we might be that way. Um, or if you're fasting for a day. Not, not to proclaim it, uh, not to act like it, none of those things, but just to be able to this, um, to put on cologne, 
to take a shower, to comb your hair, to uh, brush your teeth, to put on clean clothes, and don't let on at all that there's a fast happening. But however, here in verse 15, it says, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. This was a public, this was a corporate, this was a community fast, where all were to fast, where all are being called into this. And in Old Testament practices, when there were these um, sacred assemblies, which were called, there were community-wide spiritual practices that were to be employed. And this is one of those instances. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. This is an instance of that. Verse 16, he says, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. In other words, there's nothing more important than the sacred assembly. This is something I really need to preach. Uh, that when a sacred assembly is called, you, you, you don't make excuses. I mean, and, and so in verse 16, as he's talking about, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. I mean, the idea there is, I mean, there, there is probably no higher, no greater day in one's life than when they get married. And at the time of the calling of the sacred assembly, you even set that aside. You, you set aside a marriage ceremony because a sacred assembly has been called. And look at where we are today. We have come to the point where, where you know, we, we treat the assembly as so, uh, it's a convenience issue. And now I'm not saying that every church service is a sacred assembly. But there are times in, li- in, in the life of some churches that a sacred assembly needs to be called, that maybe even in all churches, where a sacred, sacred assembly needs to be called, where people need to be called to prayerfulness. And this is exactly what's going on here. And, and he is saying in verse 16, there is no reason to not participate. There is no reason to, to not engage in the assembly. So let the bridegroom leave his room, the bride her chamber. Verse 17, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep. Between the portico and the altar, let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? I mean, they had something that was coming to them, and God's wanting to spare them of consequence. And, um, He calls them to fast. He calls them to pray. He calls them to confess. He calls them to to rend their hearts before him. And what is the response of God that we read in this passage? Verse 18 says, Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it to a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea. Its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Uh, 
verse 23. Be glad, people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant flowers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. Uh, verse 26, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. Now, this all comes in response to their uh, to their humility, to their confession, to their bowing before him. And then it continues in this passage. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Uh, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fires and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dead, dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now, this passage is one that has, again, a dual emphasis, an immediate call of the sacred assembly to uh, to prayerfulness, to fasting, uh, to sackcloth, to ashes, to the rending of the heart, to returning to the Lord. Uh, in immediate sense, in Joel's day, there is that application. And yet, throughout this this entire chapter, we see um, the prophecies of things yet to come. What's our takeaway from this? Our takeaway from this is, okay, yeah, sackcloth is good. Uh, Lent, yeah, sac- Lent is a good time. And what do we do in Lent? Not, Lent is not only an idea of, well, I'm going to abstain from something. I'm going to abstain from alcohol for 40 days, or I'm going to abstain from coffee for 40 days, or I'm going to abstain from... Uh, the internet for 40 days, which by which, if that is your case, then I will see you after Easter. Uh, or I'm going to abstain from uh, other pleasures, whatever they might be. But it is not only a case of abstaining. Lent is also a time of embracing, of giving ourselves to, to more spiritual disciplines, of giving ourselves to more scripture reading, of giving ourselves to uh, more worship of giving ourselves to maybe lying down on our floor or to more journaling or to to other practices that are good for us spiritually. So it, it isn't only a case of abstain. It's also uh, a case of embracing the things of God, it, it, maybe doing a little bit more than what we would normally do. Now, I, I just want to say this. Verse 32 said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I hope that you do, because this verse, and then it gets clarified in the book of Acts, that who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. There is no other name, Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men by which men must be saved, but by the name of Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you have not uh, given your life to Christ, acknowledge your sins, acknowledge your need of his mercy, his grace, and his compassion, do that now. Do that today. Invite Christ to be your Savior. 
that you may be saved when the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And not only that, but the benefit of learning to walk with God in the here and now. Well, friends, uh, we've worked our way through this entire chapter of uh, Joel chapter 2. I'd encourage you maybe to go back and, and read it, reread it. Uh, maybe even do some further study about how this relates to the book of Revelation and things yet to come. But it's my prayer that if you need to return in your heart to God today, that you will do that. If you need to give your life to Christ today, that you will do that. That all of us would see the work of God in our hearts, in our community, in our church, in our lives, in our world. Lord Jesus, draw people to yourself. Draw us to yourself that we might walk closely with you and bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, that's a wrap for today. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.